What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Bring us in, babe. Welcome to Coco Caliente. Welcome to another edition of Coco Caliente. I am your host, El Fitvic, Victor Royal, Victor Arroyo Tercero Martinez, with my Whoa. also co-host, Nicole Ann Franzel, also known as Coconuts underscore on Instagram. How are you doing, my beautiful, beautiful fiance? I'm doing great today. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Do you like that intro style? Yeah, I do. It's like really peppity and uppity and... And it sounds a little bit more professional, I think, uh, in terms of when you're listening to like a radio show. Right. Anywho, let's get right into this today. Mm -hmm. Nicole and I, actually more Nicole than I, and now I are on this kick right now. And the kick is, say it. You know what I'm going to say. It's not a kick. It is a kick. I've been juicing every morning for like six months, but now we're trying to cleanse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that is fair. That is yeah. fair. You've been you have been juicing every morning. Yes. What does your juicing consist of? Because Nicole has this, and anybody that has juiced before knows that like the machine comes apart in like fifteen different pieces. Yeah. So juicing on your own is really really difficult for those of you who have done it. Um, so the ingredients I put in my juice every morning um, is celery, apple, lemon, and spinach. The reason that I juice every morning and is because I have problems with low magnesium and this was something that was really, really helping and I was just feeling a lot better emotionally, mentally, physically. And then um, I decided to kind of, let's try a whole cleanse. You know, I'm going to be trying on wedding dresses soon. Let's try to like cleanse my body. So I bought... (laughs) What what do you... What does that look for? No, no, look. I think this is awesome. And so I bought a whole day juice thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it is super kind of expensive, but they are like juicing it for you. It's very convenient and everything like that. So I decided to try it for like two days. I bought two days worth and I didn't even make it through half of a day before (laughs) I was like, I can't do this. So I broke up those four, um, I broke them up into four days. So I did four half days. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was still really difficult. Uh, but yeah, juicing yourself, the reason I juice every morning too, I make it every morning 
is because I don't like what it tastes like when it sits in the fridge. So I'm like a snobby juicer. No, and it, it's pretty crazy because it is a lot of hard work. I mean, if you see anybody that's ever juiced before, there's just, you know, vegetables that you have to cut up and then mm-hmm. you have to put everything down. And it's a little messy. And then the cleanup afterwards, getting all the, and I've always wanted to, and I've been meaning to look it up and I haven't, mm-hmm. but like how to recycle somehow the remnants of the stuff, uh, of the, the fruits and vegetables it um, takes like an hour from start to finish. I'm not joking. By the yeah. time you clean it, you put it together, you take it all apart. But it's so healthy. That's the thing. It it's is so healthy. good for you. And and uh, the juice uh, cleanse. So I was I was doing some research on the juice cleanse, and like they said, the sweet spot is like three days. I mean, I am like close to half day of day one of my first ever, and I don't know if I'm going to make it all day. So I can't imagine doing this for three days. But the benefits, obviously weight loss, but that's just a calories game, right? You're, you're drinking this cleanse and so you're not eating. And right, so you you're can obviously, gain those back in like two days, honestly. Yeah, you're I honestly going to lose weight. I mean, or you can cleanse and then just, you know, be more conscious and just eat less calories. Mm-hmm. So you'll keep that weight off, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you did lose. Uh, but it just promotes that weight loss. Also, it reduces inflammation. Mm-hmm. So everything that we eat normally, let's say meats or processed foods, high salt, high sodium, all that stuff will, will create inflammation in the body, all over the body. Uh, not just your muscles, but your arteries and, and any little veins and everything like that. Um, and so it reduces that inflammation. Also, it helps the gut bacteria uh, in your stomach. So you cleansing and not eating food gives your stomach a time to basically reset. It's mm-hmm. like repair. Um, another thing that I looked at, many, many health benefits. Uh, it helps your immune system. Um, cause I can't even remember what it is in, mm-hmm. in the immune system itself, but when you fast, it promotes the growth of this thing that helps your immune system get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying that now and, and it's amazing how much fruits and vegetables go into a juice. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> I will buy probably, I buy like seven large celery things. Uh, organic celery what are they called they're not called heads but whatever they are a week along with a huge bag of lemons a huge bag of apples and it's gone and it's just like all right you got to go back to the store you got to get more it's like a never-ending process you can't like really get ahead and that's something that kind of bugs me because i did try to just get a big picture of it and be able to pour myself a glass in the morning because it would save me so much time and it's just not the same. It's really yeah. not. We're on both sides of the fence here. We can argue for it and against it. There's so many benefits to it, but it's also just a pain, right? So in my dream house that hope to have someday, I just want to have like a juicer built into my counter that I can just throw everything in whole and it just squirts out. <laughs> no cleanup. It's like a it's like built right into the kitchen, kind of like a garbage disposal style. <laughs> and just to give you some idea, the 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 cleanse that we're doing today, it, it's six different juices. And the one that I have in my hand right now, it's like uh, what's in this one is carrots, apple, spinach, lemon, parsley, ginger, and kale. And this one's called roots. Mm-hmm. And the one Nicole has, I think it's greens. And what does that have in it? Apple, cucumber, celery, lemon, spinach, ginger, kale, and parsley. parsley. I am not a fan of Gin, uh, ginger in my juices. I hate it. It like hurts my throat. I don't know. Ugh. I got to choke these down because they're not even close to as good as the ones I make. <laughs> so I should start selling my juices. You should. You should. Well, all this to say that this is what we're trying now. Something new for us. So hopefully it works. Anyways, we have an amazing guest today. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome guy. I think it's the absolute best conversation that's ever been on Coco Caliente. 
And um, Shane McAnally, he is somebody who is very famous to us, <laughs> like just feels like, oh my gosh, like I didn't talk the entire episode because I was enjoying the conversation and I was just nervous. Yeah, it was, I got so sucked into the conversation and you don't even, I mean, me talking to him, I didn't even feel he didn't make me feel like he was above me or, or you know no. in any He's way so, was so humble he is a songwriter of so many i mean he has 41 42 i can't remember what he said number one number hits. one hits in country most in country Several radio. grammy awards it's just it's yep. it's crazy to me how he is just so down to earth so humble so nice and you guys are gonna love this conversation it's it's my favorite enjoy hey shane mcnally how you doing <laughs> Good, how are y'all? I'm good. good, I'm good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're really excited to have you. Welcome to Coco Caliente. <laughs> I love that you guys asked. Thank you so much. This is going to be so fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so excited. And I, and I tell Nicole all the time because we, we, uh, we podcast with all types of people, mm-hmm. right? And I get so excited because I consider you an expert, a professional, right? Yeah. And so these are my, by far my favorite, uh, I guess, interviews. And I don't like to call them interviews. These are by far my favorite conversations. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, let's just let's just talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, let's just talk. So uh, for people listening, so Shane McAnally, multi-award winning, Grammy winning artist. You've had 40, I can't even count now, 40, 50. How many number one songs have you had now? I think we're at 41. Uh, you know, I, that sounds so silly. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm certainly into numbers and awards <laughs> and so I'm not trying to be coy. There's so many different charts, but uh, yeah, I think 41 official, you know, hitting some number one on some Billboard chart. Yes, and and you're mainly country, right? That 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 was your like uh, your main um, yeah your main genre, I would say. Yeah, right? my main genre is country. I um, and you know, I've really in the last couple years, especially doing Songland, I have I have wanted to really get into the pop world because I'm just a crazy fan of so many pop artists. And, um, that's, that's starting to happen, but I'm, I'm really reminded that sometimes it's good to, to just lean into what you're really good at and the other stuff will come, but, but country is where I, I just have the experience. It's also what I grew up listening to and loving. And so, um, yeah, I like to consider myself sort of genreless, but, I, but I'm, but country is what is, is what has brought me to the party. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's go back. Let's go back pre, uh, pre you being, you know, who you are now. Right. Cause from what I understand, you began performing at local clubs when you were like 12 years old. Yeah. You know, there's a, a famous uh, there's a famous club in, in De- uh, Fort Worth uh, called Billy Bob's over Texas. Um, and I don't know how, you know, it's fuzzy how this all worked out, but I had a gig there when I was 12. There was a, like a, a front bar where they would just have someone, I had like a, literally a karaoke machine that I would go in there. <laughs> it wasn't for karaoke, but it was like, you know, like a little a speaker with a microphone. Yeah. And um, I would sing uh, country songs in there to back up tracks, and I would play my guitar. And, you know, that was long before I was actually old enough to be in there. Yeah, I um, just, I can only picture how funny that is, like, because you have to go in there with your parents, I'm presuming, right? Yeah. And and you can't walk through the normal bar area, or you can't be in that bar area technically. So you're just, like, going there to perform, and then when you're done performing, you got to (laughs) go. Yeah, that was it. I mean, and, and... 
you know what's funny is that I don't have a lot of memories of what mm-hmm. I feel like there were in that particular bar. <laughs> in my head, there were like four people in there. <laughs> I don't think it was uh, the most glamorous gig, but I did every gig in the world like that. And and uh, I guess you know, it, for one, my mom and my grandmother were were um, really good about getting me places, getting me into things. Um, my grandmother got me on Star Search when I was 15. That's so cool. <laughs> that is awesome. I was like, that's so awesome. You're on Star Search. I totally remember that show. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny is I just met uh, Simon Fuller, uh, you know, who has started American Idol. And yeah. I was telling, I, that was like my big story to tell him that I was on Star Search when I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to share this with you. He's like, great. Who are you? <laughs> but anyway, that, yeah, that was that was a, a really crazy experience coming out to LA for the first time. My mom and I came out here and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't win. And at the time, I was really, really down about that. I mean, I, I, w- I would near say destroyed. That sounds dramatic, but Mm-hmm. I was going through a lot of stuff at home. You know, 15 is a tough age for everybody, but mm-hmm. we were in a particularly sort of tough place. My okay. mom was a single mom. And and I just, and I was also dealing with coming to terms with my sexuality, even though I didn't come out for another decade. Absolutely. I was just having this struggle of how to be cool, how to fit in. And getting on Star Search, it felt like a real ticket. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, I can really like get out of here. Mm-hmm. And 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 help like help my family. I thought that that was going to be like the thing, and I didn't win, and I didn't have success for two more decades. Actually, yeah. so you know, it was it was definitely. I ha- I have learned to look at it with a smile and be like, um, you know, I was really young, and that God, it was hilarious. By the way, I looked <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> I wore this green suede jacket with fringe and all these rhinestones it was that's amazing that, that sounds awesome I look like actually. a christmas tree if you it, i don't know i didn't see if you have that picture you should definitely post that somewhere because that is talk about memories yeah <laughs> oh yeah i'll post i i think I, I do need to find a picture of that it, it's funny they did this poets and prophets thing at the country music hall of fame a couple years ago and they got they found a clip of it and they asked I'm sure they actually got that somewhere from my family, but they asked if they could use it. And I was so funny about it. I just was like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I am a self-deprecating person, but this was really bad. <laughs> but um, we did end up using it and I just didn't look at the screen. I just looked forward. <laughs> if you guys are looking for something for, say, a new bra or new underwear, I have a great company that I love. It's called Third Love. Third Love. <laughs> Um, so first, what you can do is you can do the Fit Finder quiz. You just answer a few questions to get the perfect fit in 60 seconds. Um, it's super fun. It's easy to complete. And then it also talks about how breast shape actually matters. And that's something that a lot of bras don't take into account, into account, and they do. And every customer has 60 days to wear it. You can wash it, put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it. And third love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need, which I absolutely love. That's my favorite thing. I don't mm-hmm. know much about bras, but third love donates all of their gently used uh, return bras to women in need, supporting charities in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. And so far... They have donated over $15 million That's amazing. in bras. Um, returns and exchanges are free. They're easy. It's hands down the most 
uh, comfortable bra you own. I really like comfortable bras. There's no, they're not itchy or they're super lightweight, thin memory foams. They mold to your shape. And so if you are looking for the perfect bra right now, Third Love is offering my listeners 15% off for your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Coco now to find your perfect fitting bra and 15% off your first purchase. Also, I love their underwear. I buy, <laughs> I only like wear their underwear. I love them. That's thirdlove.com slash Coco for 15% off today. So how, how... How long have you been so musically inclined? Like, when was your first memory of, like, being into music or singing or songwriting? Mm-hmm. Like, when did all this happen for you? The first time I remember actually structuring a song, I, and, and I was always a songwriter. I didn't know that's what I was doing because, I mean, gosh, I was eight or nine years old. You have to think this is mid-80s, mm-hmm. and there just wasn't any mention of someone writing songs, I didn't know that's what I was doing. Um, because I don't know how to explain it. I know that sounds weird, but my, my mom would say, where did you learn that? And I would say, oh, I just made it up. Mm. And it didn't feel like a, like a, like an, a career or it didn't feel like, you know, she never looked at it and said, oh my gosh, my child can write songs. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I just, you know, I had an innate something was I just knew how to structure them Mm -hmm. I knew how to write things that rhymed and I knew I was just imitating what I'd heard on the radio but I but I just knew how to do it and it's really strange because I guess it's just like anybody who knows how to do something you know where it's just you know someone can pick up the guitar and and they teach themselves but then they have this this uh this gift and I didn't have that in other places musically, meaning I, I'm an okay guitar player. I still have to work at it. I can barely play better than when I picked up the guitar, you know, in my teens. I learned to play piano around the same time. And I learned those instruments because I wanted to write songs. Mm-hmm. And I needed to figure out the music in my head. But that those weren't natural to me. Mm-hmm. But putting words together, putting them in a melody, I still do it most all day long in some capacity. I mean, this morning I woke up with an entire melody laid out. I don't know if I'll ever use it. I just have to record it into my phone and then move on. But it just kind of just happens. And it wow. it always happens. That's like so magic. crazy. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, and I feel so, I feel so amazed at myself when I just put together like three sentences or something or, or one sentence. <laughs> yeah, and then, he does. And he then like somebody says, something. oh, no, not even that. But like Nicole <laughs> say, oh, who said that? Or that's somebody will say like, oh, who said that? Like, that's a quote. And I was like, no, I made that up. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, oh, wow, that's good. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> I am a genius. But you, you, <laughs> you live that day in and day out. And I can't imagine like having well, the radio playing and you're like, oh, that's my song, mm-hmm. you know? That, yeah, that's, that'll never get old. You know, it's funny. You just said something that sparked something in my head thinking about, uh, the, I always compare things. It, you know what it's like for me? And sometimes, because I was going to tell you that it's not always great because it is a bit um, daunting and haunting at times because I will wake up with things and I have to record them or I will wake up in the middle of the night and I have to roll over and put it in my phone. Mm. And I, it's, I say it's like I see dead people. Oh. It's, like, <laughs> it's like these things do not turn off. And when someone's talking a lot of times, I go into what I call the bubble, which means I stop listening to what they're saying 
because I've hung on to a phrase they've said. Mm. And, uh. and then I'm not, I'm go, I've gone off on my tangent <laughs> and I have to come back and go, sorry, I was, I was just writing a song to what you said. Now, that sounds like <laughs> genius or like some level. I guess there is some level of that. I'm, I'm not good at anything else. I mean, <laughs> like I can parallel park. Period. <laughs> That's funny because I can just imagine somebody talking and then the words slowly, slowly just turn into like, mm, 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 mm. yeah, that's yeah. right. That's <laughs> like in Charlie exactly Brown. Right. <laughs> that, I, that is exactly the teacher in Charlie Brown. Yeah, exactly. Is. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. And then so you start, you, you did that. You were playing in bars and stuff. And it wasn't for like another seven years that you actually moved to Nashville at 19. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, I, um, I was graduated high school, and at that point, I didn't know anyone in the music business. I didn't know how you did it. I had played these local operas and clubs, like you said, for seven years. And so I moved first to Austin to go to the University of Texas. And I was there for a year total. But during spring break of my second semester, I went to Nashville because what was happening was I was just writing songs and missing class. I didn't know when I had the freedom to <laughs> like when I got away from home, basically, and I did not have to go to school. Now, look, I was supposed to, but the, there was nobody going to come and make me go. It wasn't, you know, illegal for me to miss class. Yeah. So what happened was I just would sit in my dorm room and write songs. And then I would get drunk and I would play them for my fraternity brothers. And <laughs> literally nothing else that year. It was, But you know what it did do? At the time, my, my mom was like, all this money wasted. But looking back, I needed to close that door to know, look, I can't, I can't function without music. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I went to Nashville on spring break. I went to the famous Bluebird Cafe that is seen a lot of attention in the last decade yeah, because yeah. of the show Nashville, but that has been going on a long time. They have a open mic night where they put people's names in a hat because there's too many people there to play <laughs> than, you know, yep. and my name got drawn and I, I got up in front of a room full of songwriters and I sang a song I wrote. And that was, again, I was at the time living in Austin on spring break. And when that, when I did that, I was, I knew I was never going back. I mean, I had to go home and get my stuff. Yeah. But that was it for me. So that was when I was 19 and I had my first hit when I was 34. So there was a lot of there was a lot of <laughs> time in between. And I've often joked if someone had told me at 19 it was going to take that long that I, I might not have been able to do it. Um, and now, I, you know, it sounds so cliche, but I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of it because it all makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And what, what did you, what did you decide to study when you went to college? Oh gosh, this always makes people laugh and I don't know why. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) So I was, uh, I'm going to be an accountant. Oh, no way. (laughs) Well, here's this very bizarre twist to, I was really good. And I mean, not as good now, but I was really good at numbers. I scored really high on my SAT in the math Mm-hmm. part. So everybody was like, oh, you should go into business. It was just, you know, it's that they, I don't think it's as much like this now, I hope, but then it was just like, oh, look, uh, high math scores. You should be in business, go to the finance school at UT. 
they have one of the best and, you know, it's a state school. You can afford to go there. I got a scholarship. So, I, you know, that didn't last long, but, but that's what I was studying. Awful. I mean, it actually makes me feel like um, nervous thinking about how I would go into class and be like, what am I doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I can still feel that old feeling sort of in my chest. Like, I know that I, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm such an advocate of education, though, and that's the thing is so many songwriters tell these stories of not going to college. I mean, Esther Dean, Ryan Tedder sat next to me on the this Songland panel, and they both talk about, you know, Ryan did go to college, but he said, you know, it didn't do me any good. And mm-hmm. Esther, I think, left high school. And it's such a hard thing, especially when you have kids, because you're like, no, no, no. There's an experience that happens at college. Yeah, that's what I, I wanted to bring that up because when you were saying that, I mean, I agree that maybe college in and of itself is not for everybody, right? There's trade schools and, mm-hmm. and other things that you might enjoy more, right? And, and you might be good at it and you can make a living at it. But the experience in and of itself of going to college, being free, doing the things that you want to do, and that's how you realize, hey, I want to do music, right? Exactly. And if it wasn't yeah, for so, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I would always have wondered, I mean, there was another time, uh, probably when I was 31 or 32, where I was really at the end of my rope as far as like, I don't, I mean, I, I was, I lost my, I was losing my house in, in that, uh, in LA. So see, there was a time period I moved out to LA. Yeah. So how, how, long, how long were you in Nashville before you were like, all right, this might not work for me. Maybe in LA, it'll be better. Yeah, I was there for six years, and I um, did, you know, had a record deal, lost a record deal, had a publishing deal, lost a publishing deal. Oh, that's right. That's what Curb, so you were in 1999, yes. right? You were 25, and you actually had a, a, a song on the Hot Country songs. Is it, are you, uh, are your blue are, eyes still blue? Are your eyes still blue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was one of a few singles they released. It, none of it really caught, and I just... I really thought from all the years I had spent before and in my love of country music, I mean, along with writing songs, I, I was obsessed with country music from award shows to going to concerts to I would go to fanfare. I mean, I just was obsessed with the genre, the people. So I just really thought this was just going to happen for me and, you know, put a record out after a few years and it didn't work and was on tour with all these big people. It didn't matter. And I just, honestly, I felt really mad at Nashville. It sounds so silly. I just had this resentment like, you guys did not read from the script I wrote here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was also really in the midst there of coming out. Okay. And so I'm, I'm in the closet. I have this country album that comes out. I have this boyfriend. We can't go anywhere together. I have a girlfriend who travels with me. Oh, and wow. She's your beard. Is that, is that, she was right? my beard and she was yeah. my, yeah, like a dear friend of mine who, mm-hmm. who we had dated before and then I came out and she ended up uh, being, you know, a big part of this story because she was so willing to help me. Um, and, but, but, but ultimately what happens in those situations is, there, people read inauthenticity. It didn't mean that people thought I was gay. It didn't mean that people thought that I was not a good musician. It, what was happening was people knew something wasn't adding up. 
Mm-hmm. And that just, you feel that in the music. That's and what so, I, I was going to ask that. So did that hinder, that would have at some point, right? You can't be 100% yourself. So that had to hinder the music or the performance or however else that you wanted to be. Yeah. I was always never not on. It was like, what lie have I told? What story have I told? What will people think if, if he's here? What, you know, it's like, there's, there was just a lot going on and, if if I had had success at that point, um, I don't know what would have happened to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it was a few years later that I really got, you know, I moved out to L.A. I got into drugs. There, there's the, These experiences sound really dark. A lot of them were. But a lot of them also were just cathartic. And I moved to West Hollywood. It was the first place I'd ever seen guys holding hands. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that existed. Mm-hmm. And um so was that just that, mind blowing? Was that when you saw that for the first time, you're like, oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm in a place where well, I was, maybe I can be myself. I was really scared of it at first because I was so used to be- being closeted. I was so used to not telling people who I was that these people who were just owning themselves and being like, this is who I am. I re- really kind of went against it. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I would I would watch it from afar. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, like how great that would great. be to be able to be like that, but I don't know if I can do it just yet. Yeah, and I didn't really know that my story, I almost had homophobia. I mean, I was like angry mm-hmm. at, you know, anything that was blatantly feminine or something that seemed against type. Because, you know, I'm still fighting in my head, like, what it means to be gay. I mean, growing up in a small town in Texas and having played football and, wanting to fit in and it being in country music, it was like, I can't ever act that way. Yeah. And so I, you know, it was a long time. It was even after coming out to my family and, and coming out to people around me, I don't honestly know if I was, if I was fully out to myself oh. because I was still just, I just had a lot of fear and anger. Uh, and, you know, that did really, go away until I, I kind of lost everything. Not that I had much to lose at this point, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you I lost was, your house and, and your car, right? Your, your house yes, foreclosed that, and you, and yeah, that's tough. That's mm-hmm. yeah. It was, it was a, it was such a weird, it's so strange to look back on things like that. And I just now having the experience, I, when I talk to younger people that are going through anything and I just mean younger than me or maybe older than me and just haven't done the same things I've done. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievable what time does. I can't believe where I was a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's really, it just, it, it can change on a dime. And so that's the thing is you just keep going. And and I, I wish that I had known then or had the faith that it would work out because I would have enjoyed some of those times a little more when I was struggling because there are so many good things about that part of your journey. Absolutely. And, you know, but it was hard for me to to see it because I was just so mad at the world. <laughs> when is this going to happen for me? Um, <laughs> and so so then cuz this is this is crazy cuz I think after the 6 years in Nashville the first time I would have said, "You know what? I'm hanging this up. I'm done," you know. And then you go to LA, you try your you try it there, you the house you lose the house, lose the car, and then you go back to Nashville to live with your sister. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And that was only, that was like a 
surrender flag flying. And that was, I was in LA for seven years. I had been playing shows like at Hotel Cafe and the Viper Room, the Cat Club. And I would play every couple weeks. I had a really good following. I, um, I would record my shows and then sell the CDs at the next show of the last show. And I wait, wait, were you burning the CDs yourself? Were you recording music and burning them yourself? Wow. (laughs) I was making t-shirts. I was, it was, you know, I was making flyers and, and, um, and I would say, I would, God, I would bother people. It's so funny now when I run into, I run into people from that time. They're like, it is so weird to not get one of your page long emails of why I should come to this show, even if I came to the last one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what was weird in that seven years, nothing happened. It, that's the part that, I mean, things obviously in the universe were happening. Yeah. But you know, when you have a friend of a friend or someone who knows someone at a record label or someone who might know a publisher, it just didn't happen. And that, I I really did think at the end of that run and then the house, I lose my house and then I lose my car. And I really did think I, I needed to give it up. It was like, if I'm ever going to have a life beyond, you know, working week to week, doing these shows, bartending, then I'm going to have to stop doing music. And and so I did have a friend who was like a high, very highly producing real estate agent. And he had a friend that was looking for sort of a, um, what do you call it, like a protege or somebody that would yeah. come up in real estate. Yeah, like a, like a mentee. Having, having yes, a mentee. a mentee, yes. And so I borrowed a suit and I went and was sitting in this big, I don't remember the building now. I remember what the lobby looked like. <laughs> and I was sitting in someone else's suit waiting for this interview. And I don't, I'm not a person that has panic attacks, but if, if ever there was, if I ever had one, it was then. <laughs> Sweat I, all underneath it. All Every, everything underneath. underneath. <laughs> short of breath. Watching these people walk by in their suits and, and talking about these mortgages and I, I just like, I get a little sweaty telling you about it because I just, my body would not let me stay there. And I got up and left. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was not, it was not long after that moment that I had written a song in a trip to Nashville. And I had been, I was back in LA at this point, but I had written a song that Leanne Womack recorded. Mm -hmm. She was not the biggest star at the moment. She was not of surefire hit maker. She was just my favorite singer. And that was this sort of, it felt, I don't know, divine that I had written songs all these years by myself with her voice in my head. And then she records this song. I did not know where it was going to go. I did not know if it was going to come out on a record. These are all factors that later I realized (laughs) would have been good information. (laughs) But I, that was enough for me to go, okay, I'm supposed to be in Nashville. So I went back and luckily the song was recorded. It ended up getting nominated for a Grammy. It went on to be a hit. Yeah, I love and that. Can you tell that story? Because I heard the story, you, you know, you were in the, you were working the restaurant, mm-hmm. right? And that's when you heard yes, it. Yes, I did. I heard it on the radio at the restaurant I was working at, which my sister got me this job at the restaurant she was working at. Now the the sort of irony of all this is my sister is almost nine years younger than me. Mm. And here she is 
with a house that she owns and with this, she was bartending and going to school and I'm her older brother who's supposed to be, you know, teaching her, helping her and I'm sleeping on her couch and working at the restaurant she works at. And um, yeah, the song came on in the kitchen when we were back there waiting for food to take out. And I couldn't say that I wrote it because I was too embarrassed that I was working there and that, you know, it's not how it works. You don't get a song on the radio and then the next thing you know, you're, you know, millions of dollars. It just doesn't (laughs) happen like that. So I just sat there and I I guess part of me was really happy about it. The other part of me was kind of ashamed because I just thought if I said I wrote that song, one, people would be like, no, you didn't. Or people would be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you working here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know how you didn't stop yourself from... I would have probably bawled crying, you know, just from all the emotions at I once. I probably did. I mean, there <laughs> probably was an element of that. I know I cried the first time I actually heard it. Someone sent it to me before I heard it on the radio. Oh, okay. And I can still listen to that song. It's called Last Call. And I can still listen to it regularly and think what... I don't know. There was just a... It was like 50 dreams colliding. And I, I can still get emotional because, I mean, I, it sounds like a point of the story that I made up, but anyone who's ever known me since Leanne Womack came out in the late 90s, uh, hands down my favorite singer. And so it was just this amazing moment, you know, of like all these things happening. And, and not long after that, Kenny Chesney recorded a song of mine and what was... You know, the sort of bigger story of that is that I had been on the road with Kenny back when I had my record deal. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I I opened for him, and and, um, he didn't remember me uh, and wouldn't have. We weren't friends, but but I could not. I had this song, and I just, again, I have not been paid for Last Call. I have not, I do not have a publishing deal. I'm still working at a restaurant, and I'm... I have a friend who's pitches songs and she just knew this song was right for Kenny Chesney. She tried every way possible. And it was that weird thing of like, well, I kind of know him, but not well enough to send him a song. Yeah. And eventually through one of her pitches, he did end up recording it with not even knowing I had written it. And so that's a whole nother part of the story that it just felt serendipitous. It was like, my, that was my first number one. And having the proximity to him all those years in between when nothing was going on, I would have these moments of like, God, how could I just get a song to Kenny Chesney? Yeah. (laughs) You know? And it's funny how you dream these things and you continue to put them in place. And and what happened was, yeah, it took a minute. But now I've had seven number ones with Kenny Chesney. I think I was loading up the dream tank. It was like manifesting. And then when it paid off, it was like a slot machine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so are you a big believer of that? Like if you manifest things into the universe, it'll come back to you type of deal? A hundred percent. I, what's funny is that I've, I've joked. I, I would joke then when Kenny Chesney just kept recording my songs. <laughs> and I would say, gosh, you know, I, I put all this in motion. And it was like, now learning, I just have to, it's like a, it's like a vision board. Um, and it's not a, I don't have a vision board, but I am a person that if I get a positive email, I will keep it. If I get a negative email, 
a pass on a song, even if it's just, no, this isn't for us, I, I will delete the email and I will also delete it out of my trash because I don't want it touching my other emails. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah, though. I, I like, like that. Yeah, I like that thought. Well, because then when you go back, all the stuff that you're looking at is positive stuff, right? You're not going exactly. back and like even accidentally looking at something that's going to bring a damper on the day or, mm-hmm. or just a bad memory, right? So I am, a, I really do. I just, it sounds like a little hocus pocus to get into, but I believe you get what you have. So whatever you think your life is, you're going to get more of it. And that I just, I've seen it too many times over. It's, it's, um, it's a very, it's a very hard thing when you're, when life isn't going your way, when mm-hmm. things are happening and you go, but wait, I don't have any money. I legitimately don't. Well, my thought is, well, you definitely can't. You cannot have something that you believe you don't have. So, I mean, it, it, it's a, it sounds so like, oh, that's a great thought for somebody <laughs> who's, had, you know, but yeah, yeah, it took me a long time. And, and it's, you know, I, I always compare it to like, so I'm a consummate dieter. I always think that I'm like, I think I can gain 10 pounds in two hours. And, <laughs> Me too. And yeah. I, it, yeah, I mean, it's just this weird daily thing. I, I'm better about it now, but you know, I wasn't always as in shape as I am now. And there are times in the year when I don't pay attention as much. And I, I, somebody said to me, cause I was like, Oh, I'm so fat. You know, I know how that sounds. I'm not I'm not depressed or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's just kind of a shtick. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that you can't be anything other than what you're saying you are. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so that, you know, I just was using that as an example. It's like, oh, I'm broke. Well, yeah, because you're you're claiming it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, again, just something that it's just such a little thing of just I know it's hard to say I'm rich when you're not, but I started saying that. No, and and you could be rich. I mean, and it might not even in many mean, ways. Exactly, that's what I mean. Yeah. And and I listen to uh, Dak Shepard's podcast all the time, where he talks about when people think of you know them getting rich and famous, and then actually getting rich and famous. That happiness isn't necessarily fulfilled until you know they have kids or a loving family or you know whatever it is. It wasn't the rich and fame itself. You know, no. what I mean, I mean, I I am a, such a I'm certainly not famous to the degree of like Dax or somebody else, but I'm, you know, I'm on a TV show and those mm-hmm. things, you guys understand that. So Absolutely. you get a little taste of that. And yeah, my whole life, I have certainly thought if I was rich and famous, everything would be fixed. Mm-hmm. I'm the prime candidate for this. I mean, I'm the person who's just always wanted that. Mm-hmm. And um, I am those things to a degree now, but, but my happiness comes 100% for my husband and my kids. Mm-hmm. I know without a doubt that we could live in anonymity in a shack and be happy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really glad we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so, and I think it's so, so curious that after all those years of just so hard of work, right? in Nashville and then in LA and then back in Nashville that it kind of just happened in Nashville. Like all that work was put into some bottle yes. and then the bottle was open when you were, when you were like on the, on the back end of everything and just kind of like, all right, look, this is where I'm at. I'm still going to write Victor, music. That is exactly, I love what you just said. That is exactly right. And that, 
that's again what I try to tell people when they're like, well, this feels like I'm, I'm doing it for nothing. I'm mm-hmm. like, you're not doing anything for nothing. The energy is, I, I love that comparison. I'm going to use that. The energy is being put into a bottle. And when that bottle gets opened, who knows? Exactly. But it all comes back. I read this book uh, years ago, the, uh, Steve Martin's, uh, it was one of his autobiographies. This particular one was about his stand-up career. Okay. And I've quoted this a lot because, you know, through the years before he was so known, he he had all these odd jobs. Mm-hmm. And he had all these weird life experiences. And he said that everything he ever did, one was working in this little dingy magic shop. <laughs> um, he said, I, you know, I didn't want that job. It was It, it bored me. And... Then later in his act, he pulled out magic tricks. Ah. He, you know, he also for a he also was in college for a short time, and he said college felt like nothing to me. Like, what did I do that for? His roommate played banjo, and he learned banjo just from his roommate. I mean, Steve Martin is currently like on tour playing banjo. Yeah. <laughs> it's wow. so it's it's all those little things that mm-hmm. you know they all make sense later and that's certainly happened to me but i love the way you said it. it was put into a bottle and we don't get to decide when the bottle's open but we have to just keep getting it ready it's that preparation meets opportunity and that's when the bottle gets opened i love yeah. that and 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 i like that too because people always all the time might be working in a job they don't want to work in it's like mm-hmm. this is not what i want to do yes but you're gonna have to do i mean you have to live Right. Right. And, exactly. And you you still need to work on your craft because, like you said, when the when the you know when the knock comes on the door, if you're not ready, right? If you haven't been practicing, if you hadn't been writing right. music that whole time, mm-hmm. and actually becoming good at writing music, what happens when the opportunity does come and you suck at it because you haven't been practicing? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's. I, but you know, it, it can be done, and you guys get that. I mean, I'm working with all these songwriters on Songland that have have um have been doing their regular jobs and, and getting, you know, it's, it's, what do we say? It's like, I, I bartend to, um, to pay for my habit of songwriting. Exactly. And that is what these people do. I mean, I see it every day. I'm so blown away at how much people can get done when they have a passion for it. So they have families, they have kids, they have jobs. And guess what? They also write songs Yeah, because that's because they can't not you know and and for you so when did when did writing songs then become a career when was that transition yeah i mean it happened after the after the kenny chesney song got recorded and it looked like it was going to be a single you know he was on a roll in his career where not he still is but where if you had a hit on him it shifted the earth i mean i was really not just unknown i was like not even a has been because I hadn't been anything, but people knew my name. Mm-hmm. I had been gone, and then my name starts popping up on these songs, and uh, that was when I realized that like, my husband was living in Atlanta at the time. We weren't married, but the the I guess our dream at the time was he actually had a house and he had a job that paid the bills, and so I, we just thought I would be living in Atlanta and going back and forth to Nashville on this, you know, these hobby riding trips. Yeah. And, and he had a good life. And actually that would have, that would have been good. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what was coming and that ultimately there was no way I could not be right in the center of it. And, um, it was like dominoes. 
I still can't believe some of the moments where I would look up and have six, seven songs on the chart at one time. And, and actually currently is one of my, I have another run right now that is, you know, I'm just, I'm so beyond blessed. I never don't, I never don't think about how good this is and I'm so grateful, but yeah, it's just, it's just kept coming. And, um, I'm just going to keep working as long as, as long as they'll listen to my songs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And just, and I'm just going to run through just a, a brief, very brief list here of, of people, just so our listeners have an idea. So you've written for Kelly Clarkson, Sam Hunt, Kenny Chesney, Reba, Jake Owen, Luke Bryant, Lady Antebellum, Keith Urban, Thomas Rhett, Brothers Osborne, Dirks Bentley, Miranda Lambert, Casey Musgraves, and just you just won the best country song with Space Cowboy. You won a Grammy for that. Like, yeah, that's yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. insane. <laughs> well, yeah, it it is insane, and, we, and and I don't take it lightly when I hear that list because I I think you know there's just really I don't know I don't I don't I, you know I really do I know how it happened, but then sometimes I'm like I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I guess course, everything meeting, you know fl- passes in a blink of an eye. Like you put in all the work, and then what, once you get to the point where you are, you look back, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and also some things just have to line up. I mean, my dream just coincided with a couple of people at the beginning that, so I I was having hits on people like Kenny and Luke Bryan, but at that first, first run of hits, I was working very closely with two unknown artists, Casey Musgraves and Sam Hunt. Oh, wow. And (laughs) I was producing both of them. I had not produced a record before. They were just both friends of mine. We were doing demos. I, you know, had a couple of number ones under my belt and, and I met them right when they came to town. They had no association with each other. It was a complete coincidence. And the two projects that I co-produced on them became big hits. One yeah. was same trailer from park, which we won two Grammys for. And one was Montevallo by Sam Hunt, which went on to be one of the biggest selling records of the decade. And spawning five number ones and led to body like a back road which is you know the biggest song of my career um so yeah i mean it those things lined up i had commercial i had this commercial success with these hit makers and then i met these two like i said unknown artists and it just happened to be that you know, I, I, I hitched my what is it? I hitched my wagon to the right stars. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and and I'm just it, it just it it was just that lining up of everything where you go, wow, this is all. It, the bottle definitely got opened. So so when things can't get any better, you think insert Songland, right? Mm-hmm. How does yeah. how does that even? happened like when when did you get the juices flowing for that and then start talking to people to actually make it happen well that was years ago i mean the i would say five years okay uh, was the first time i got a phone call about it and they explained what it was and said that they had ryan tedder and um i didn't know ryan tedder but he very kindly said if we're going to do a nashville person i know the guy i've heard about shane McAnally and Ultimately, um, a couple years of just conversations and I came out to LA and met with some people from NBC and then Blake Shelton was doing the voice and his manager is, uh, is Brandon Blackstock who is married to Kelly Clarkson. Okay. And Kelly and Brandon have been friends of 
ours for years. Um, and so brand, they went to Brandon and said, we're trying to find a Nashville person for this show. We've met with some people. Do you know of anyone that would be like a good personality? And he's like, there's nobody else. Like you have to get Shane McAnally. So I was, I mean, trust me, trying to get me was very easy for them. I was, <laughs> I was all but standing outside the studio going, I'll do it for free. Um, That's so cool. And, and then what, very oddly and talking about the manifesting thing, um, it went away. And this oh. was around two years ago. And um, it, I just didn't hear anything. No, I, I even called Brandon and he's like, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. And then I started hearing from other people in Nashville that they were interviewing for it. Uh, and, and it was friends of mine and they, they would be like, I, I thought you were doing that show. And I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, ultimately what happened was Audrey, the producer, came to Nashville and I texted her and she just happened to be in Nashville. And uh, I said, would you want to meet up? We had become friends in this process, but I hadn't talked to her in a while. Yeah. We sat down and I said, so what happened? Like, did I do something? And um, she said, you know, the folks at NBC, like, really liked you, but didn't feel like you were right for it. And I don't know what possessed me. To say <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, the, and Audrey tells this story too. I just said, well, you can go back to the folks at NBC and tell them. I am going to be on that show. <laughs> Talk about manifestation. Yep. I said, I, it's done. I said, it's already written. I just know it. I just know it. I'm not even scared. And two days later, she called me and said, we have literally met everyone in Nashville and every single one of them said, you're the one. Oh, wow. wow. And that's the, that's the community of Nashville. Mm -hmm. I mean, that tells you right there. They were like, that is Shane's gig. He knows what to do. And it is. I mean, I just, I was built for it. It's what I do in my real life. I love every second of it. Sometimes I'm tired and they're very long days. And we go into shooting tomorrow. We'll do a 14-hour day tomorrow. And oh, wow. see three different, three different artists. And um, you know what? I'll be exhausted at the end of the day, but I'll be so glad mm -hmm. that this came along because it, it, it is again, the combining of so many dreams for me. Yep. And, um, one was honestly getting to work with Ryan Tedder too. I mean, I wanted to do that for a long time. I was putting that in the jar, you know, that we talked about putting that in the bottle. And, and now I sit next to him. Esther Dean has just been a dream of a friend collaborator. The people on the show, it feels when the first season wrapped, I just cried. I mean, I felt like camp was ending. <laughs> it wasn't because I was afraid. I don't have fear around it going away because I know that it's here until it's supposed to be. Yeah. And um, it's just that it just, I was just so happy, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just want to feel happy. That's that, that uh, I listened to this Goldie Hawn podcast yesterday, the, the, one of the Oprah's masterclass. Yeah. And, and Goldie Hawn said, um, I believe I was put on this earth to feel happy. Mm -hmm. And that is new for me because of years of struggling of being gay or my dad went to prison when I was a kid, which we you know, haven't even gotten into and probably shouldn't. But <laughs> I mean, a lot of things happened as they do to people. Mm -hmm. Mine was certainly not worse than most. 
But I thought feeling bad, feeling sad, being anxious was what drove my talent. And, and now I realize you can do all those things. You can play those characters in songs, but I just, I can do it while ultimately feeling good. And that's what I'm trying to do. No, absolutely. And, it, and it's such, what I like about that show too, and, and obviously you are perfect for the role. You have the actual personality. You're not just mm-hmm. a songwriter, right? With that, that just thinks and doesn't have any personality I'm at all. I'm a star, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> In, in, in less, yes, in less modest terms, you're a star. You're, you're, you're a shining, shining star. Um, but what I like about uh, Songland is that the songs actually get used for stuff, right? And they're actually yes. really good songs. Like one of them was, was used on the Fast and the Furious, right? And, and other right. ones shoot up to charts. Like that, it's not like a show where, yeah, the, they're going to do something, but then you never see them again. You never hear that song again, and, and they probably never do anything like these people are actually working with people after that, right? Their songs become hits and yeah, they're I working. Yeah, I actually three people that I met on the show. Uh, one to my record label, and her, her name's Sam DeRosa, and she's put out some songs. And then um, I signed two of them as writers to my publishing company. Uh, uh, Ryan has signed, Esther has signed. There are, you know, the Jonas Brothers had a huge, huge song called Greenlight from the show. Uh, I wrote a song for John Legend with my with my co-writer Tebby, who was a contestant on the show that went on to be the This Is Us um, theme song for their last season. That's amazing. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean those things go on and on. The songs, you know, Leona Lewis had a huge um, Spanish Latino hit. Solo that, quiero. Uh, yeah. Yes. You Thank know. you. I, I can't even try to say it. I told <laughs> it's not to start speaking English. <laughs> but you know, it was just these. These are all. These are all just these things that songwriters dream of. That we're all like trying to get placements and all trying to get songs in movies, and the show's doing it. So, and and cool. that's something that I wanted to bring up to you because I know back in two thousand seven, you did six songs for an independent film, and you composed them for Shelter. Right. And and with all the projects that you're doing and having done that, you kind of remind me of uh, of a young Quincy Jones. Right. Oh, God. I mean, you couldn't say anything better to me. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, I get stuttery even being mentioned with him. And and for a side note, as we timeline this thing, the, the, the Shelter soundtrack was a last ditch effort to save my house oh not that i wouldn't have done it anyway but it they did a buyout where Uh they paid me two grand to write all the songs and so that's what i did because i needed that money so bad (laughs) and it's funny to look back on that and how that's that shift i have to give that movie and those people credit because that was the first time anyone had paid me for music. Oh, no way. And so, I mean, you know, I'd get paid for gigs and things, yeah, but I'm yeah, just, yeah. no one had ever paid me for songs. And um, that was what started to shift. And like I said, it was 10 grand, but it started to, and, and I had my house, and that was the year I lost my house. I mean, it was just, all these things were happening, but I, I then did say like, oh, maybe this is possible. And that little movie, you know, it went on to really carry some things for me. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, is that something you want to do more down the line? Because I know people 
let's say in an industry, let's say you do this long enough and now you have the show and now it's like, oh, let me try something different. You know, Quincy kind of did the same thing after doing, you know, music and hits and, and, and doing all this stuff for a while. He was he was doing a lot of movies, right? Uh, down, right. And so is that something kind of you want to do? You try to want to like compose or, or oh, what? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I do. It's funny. It's such a different world now, not to get all technical in industry, but it's really hard. You, you, you kind of need to be involved in the project as a producer or a music supervisor overall for it to make sense. So it's not like writing a song for a movie because I've done those things, but it's more like I want to be in on the project. Yeah. I want to do musical based projects. I am, I am working on something. It's so early, but I do have a, a TV show in the works oh, and, um, nice. and it has, and it, it will be a, a, a minute, but, but, um, it is with some really great people and there is a music part to it. So that, that's what I mean is that doing things like that, where I could, where the music becomes a character. Yeah. That's what I want. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool to see you down the line, like a hand Zimmer. Cause anytime I see him compose on a, on a, a soundtrack for a movie, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I mean, and that really is what they do. I mean, they, you know, they're so set up for it. And I, I, I think mine would be more of like a musical. Okay. But, you know what I mean, but yep. in a in a TV show form and and hopefully movies too. But but where where the whole project was sort of a sound. I'm doing a Broadway musical that I've actually been working on for years with Brandy Clark, and oh. um, we're we're we have Jack O'Brien, who's one of the biggest Broadway directors in history. He directed Hairspray and has three Tony Awards, and he's oh. directing our show. And we we just have amazing setup our our book writer won the tony this past year for a show called tootsie and um we will be premiering in washington dc with our show um in september so that'll be our like out of town pre-broadway run and then we're going to new york wow you know there there so it doesn't even do me justice to ask what do you what do you got planned because you have so many things planned (laughs) (laughs) you know what i really do want to do though i want to be able, I want to manifest that you don't have to be busy or feel overwhelmed to have all of these things. That's my, somebody said to me yesterday, stop glorifying being busy because I found a lot of worth in being busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm too busy. I have to run here. I have 50 things pending. Mm-hmm. And I, that doesn't feel good to me because I know you can have all these things and still feel balanced. I really just want to spend time with my kids. I don't want to stop my career for it, and I don't think I have to. But the the next phase for me is is really getting my family um, around me. At, you know, we I I just want to be with them. So as soon as Songland this season is wrapped, I'm heading to Florida. We we we've got a place down there, and we're just going to set up shop with our kids for a while. Oh, that's nice. And and work from there. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I'm headed. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, you know, and I could, I can talk to you for hours. I, I, I have so many, I have so many venues that I can go. And I'm thinking in my head, man, if we had this more time, I can go through this route, that route, whatever. But I really do appreciate uh, you carving out some time in your day to speak with us. And, and uh, thank you so, so much for being on the show. 
Um, Thank y'all for everything and for having me. And also, let's just do another one. And we'll, we'll hit all the points yeah, we didn't. Yes, yes, I would love to do that. So I'll, I'll put that on the books. Uh, I'll, I'll, that'll be on. That'll be on one of the things that I want to do. And if we're ever in Nashville, we'll definitely hit you up and see if we can uh, hang out. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. Y'all have a wonderful day. Thank and you I hope so to much. Soon. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation with Shane. He was so awesome. At the honestly, he's like my friend now. I know. I feel like you guys clicked. He, 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 he talked to me. He said, Victor. And I was like, oh, my God, he said my name. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. didn't forget my name. You right. know how you're talking to somebody the first time? You're like, sure. oh, oh, man, I forget. You say, oh, Victor. He's like, yeah. oh, that's awesome. Shane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So true. Um, but anyways, Nicole, I have a Spanish word of the day. Was that a hard sigh? No, my eyes twitching. So I'm annoyed a with it. Spanish word of the day for you today. It's so easy, so easy. I mean, anybody can get it. It's it's the easiest one probably that we've done. Okay, it's nothing's easier than vino. <laughs> vino. Whatever. And the Spanish word of the day today is canción. A wine concierge. No, just listen to it. Canción. Canción. Mm-hmm. Canción. Music. You're on the right track. Recording session. A little too far. The most basic. Song, singer, song. 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 That's what I said. No, you said music. Oh, dang it. It's on record, too. <laughs> <laughs> dang it. That's what I meant. Yeah, I, I, know, babe, I know that's what you meant, oh. babe. Babe, I know that's exactly Sometimes what you I meant. Sometimes I say things and I meant something else. Mm, no, absolutely. <laughs> two plus two is five. I meant four. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a weird or normal for us today? Victor, you didn't prepare me. I forgot. Babe, you got to come up with a weird or normal right now on the spot. Go. Okay. A weird or normal. I have one. Okay. Is it weird or normal to not unpack your luggage after you get back from a trip the same day? I think it's weird to unpack the same day. Uh, you've had a long day. You deserve rest. Okay. So is it still then weird to not unpack it the day after that? So you're trying to say that I don't unpack for weeks. <laughs> I, yeah, that's probably weird, but I don't care. <laughs> well, I, babe, I wasn't directing anything towards you specifically. Come on. I, would, I wouldn't do that. All right. <laughs> Whatever. No, I just had this thing. For me, it's like sometimes I'll do it the day of. Um, and I really have to put, I have to push myself to do it the day of, but normally within the next two days, I try to unpack it. I don't even try to push myself the day of. It's just a lot to unpack. But just think about it though. You do this thing that's unpleasant and Mm -hmm. you get it out of the way and then you're done with it. You don't have to do it again. You don't have to worry about it tomorrow. It doesn't sit out. You remember we had this conversation the other day about the house just being clean and how you're like stress-free because you're not thinking about it. But it depends on how big of a trip. Like if it's a couple-day trip, yeah, I can unpack. Mm -hmm. If it's a week trip, no. Well, it's because... Well, Nicole, exactly. Nicole also has a problem where she overpacks. I, when I pack, when I come back, I maybe have like one, two sets of clean clothes. And so those get hung up quick. Everything else goes into the wash pretty much. It's really easy for, and you don't have like beauty products, hairspray, curling iron, lotion. But at the same time, you say that, but all those things should be packed in something themselves. So all you have to do is literally just take that bag, right? That little side bag that has makeup or side bag that has the little lotions and stuff and put that back in a drawer. 
Doesn't work like that, Victor. In my in my doesn't fan- work like that. In, in my fantasies, Nicole, you get you, you go on a trip and you take exactly what you need, and you don't have anything extra that that needs to be extra carried or lifted or moved. And then we get back here and it's all put away. And I just I wake up and I'm like, oh my god. And I see your luggage in the corner. I that too sure good to is, be true. yeah, that sure is a fantasy. There, <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I digress. We're going to read the reviews. Yes, the reviews that you guys leave us that make us feel amazing because you guys are amazing, and we wouldn't be here doing this if it wasn't for you. So, Nicole, take it away. This one is from. Uh, Dana Mitch, 22, something to look forward to, five stars. I have loved Nick and Vic since BB. They have such a genuine, adorable relationship. I listen to the podcast to and from the hospital as a travel RN. I have always hated driving, but now I cannot wait to listen and laugh along. I even catch myself smiling ear to ear, which probably looks strange to all the passing drivers. Thank you two so much for making my daily life fun. I appreciate how relatable you are. Keep up the good work. Oh, that's That's, awesome. That's a really good one. Did you ever read this one by Emma? It was called Real Life Real Sweet about celebrities. I don't think so. Okay, because this was very, um, how do I say this? It was very nice, but I have to humble myself when I read this because this is totally like putting us up there because we're not celebrities, I don't think, right? So, real life, real sweet, five stars. Love this podcast so much. Nick and Vic are like the people in celebrity magazines. They show shopping for milk with the caption, celebrities, they're just like you. Oh, I did read this one. You you, did. It deserves another read if you want. Yeah, it does. I think it does because this is awesome. Nick and Vic really are like regular people. I love listening to their real life approach to real life highs and lows. They make you feel like a part of their conversation. I love how down to earth and humble they are how they work together to encourage and support each other and their listeners. Always a pleasure to listen to the latest episode. Thank you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I read that one, but who knows? A lot of them are just so great. They they like kind of are similar, you know? Yeah. They all make me feel good. Well, you guys are so, so awesome. Please rate, review, and subscribe. The easiest way is on Apple Podcasts. If you have an iPhone, it's a little purple app on your phone. It's titled podcast. If you have any other phone, I don't know because I have iPhones, so I'm sorry. (laughs) But you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You can always go to www.cococaliente.com and you can listen there. www.cococaliente. And you can just Google it, (laughs) but it's cococalientepodcast.com. You can listen there and you can also check out our merchandise. Um, You can please follow us at Coco Caliente Podcast on Instagram and at Coco Caliente Pod on Twitter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.